All right, everyone, this is day two of bonus content from Volleyball Canada Nationals. We feel like a real show because Volleyball Canada has given us a studio here <laughs> above the courts. We can see thousands of kids playing club volleyball, but more importantly, we are able to grab some guests that are in town. We're joined by Jody Z, Jody Shevchevsky. I'll take a guess if that is that. Close. It's close. 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 Uh, she's on staff at UBC, the defending national champions now, guys. We're, we're looking into recruiting and going into next year. Uh, you played at Trinity. Uh, yep. Played at a high level, both indoor beach. Yep. Uh, Friends of the show from Ontario would know you from your Phoenix Volleyball Club days where yes. you were involved uh, with your husband on the beach and indoor programming. So yep. uh, excited to have you. And we're joined by Craig Moore, uh, <laughs> basically legend of, of the kids, uh, kids beach scene, but uh, more importantly, Sido Beach Club owner, co-owner, I guess. We'll, co yeah, co-owner, me and Sean Sanderson. We call him Sandy. Don't want to throw Sandy under the bus. You are a co-owner, but yeah. uh, we know who's in charge over there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's him. He's holding down the fort right now. And I think if anyone's been to either a Cliver or Van Open, they, they obviously know you're a very nice person as far as Ontario people affiliate with BC people. I think you're you're got to be near the top. So yeah, I try to make everybody feel welcome. The bigger least, community, the better. At least the first time out there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and uh, you're also here coaching with Thunder Volleyball yep. Club. Uh, I guess the defending national champions. We are. Well, that team all graduated, so but I guess so. I don't still know. counts. Still, still counts. counts. Still yeah. defending. Still yeah, counts. still defending. Yeah, trying to take a shot at two in a row. We'll see how it goes tomorrow. Awesome. So let let's start with the university scene in, in BC Canada West. How was your season? How did you guys do it? Canada West is, is just pumping out good teams, and UBC takes it down for Doug Reimer's four hundredth championship. Is that what it is at now? Or? I think I think it's eight or nine. I actually don't know. I don't know exactly. Um, it was it was an interesting year for us. It was very up and down. I think if you talk to anyone from our, our team early on the season, uh, not a lot of success. We did start zero and three. Um, so had nine new players join the team this year. So a lot of you know managing and, and trying to figure out everyone's roles and, and kind of where they are. So we caught fire at the right time. And I think coming into we entered um, playoffs. I think fifth. We were at the fifth seed. Had to travel to Regina for a quarterfinal. Play a very tough, very good Regina team. And they won like ten in a row or something like that. Like crazy to end the season. Didn't Regina win like? Yeah, 10 Regina. In a row they, the did. they did. They did. Yeah, they were on like fire. A rampage. They like they were probably the hottest team. I would yeah. say at that point in the year. Um, and I, like it was a grinder. Fifth set. You know, we pulled it out and. And then, you know, heading into nationals, saw that we had Trinity first round and, and the girls were pumped. Um, they were excited to be there. We'd been playing really well up to that point and that, what a match that, that quarterfinal was. I think if anyone saw it, they, they would agree with that. Both teams just kind of laying it out there for two and a half hours. So it was pretty, pretty incredible to watch. Um, and then after that, we just got rolling. Uh, played a very good Dal team again in the semis and just worked through it, played well, got through that final. Obviously, the epic comeback down 2-0 to Ryerson, um, but the girls just didn't let it phase them. They were very resilient all year and pulled it out in those last three sets, so it was fun. And you guys have a cure van, right? She, Nobody else has a cure van, right? She, yeah, <laughs> she, she's good, And but I would also give credit to, we had a lot of leadership on our team this year, that at times when I think our team could have crumbled, um, they just didn't let them, so yeah, had players step up and we won, so... Nice. And, and since we're here at Club Nationals, uh, Craig, how was your first day? First day of competition? Uh, first day was good. We literally pulled one out of the fire game two. We were, we'd were we lost the first <laughs> set uh, to a really scrappy team from Alberta, SP, SP, SPVC. SPVC. Yeah, really good. And uh, they beat us first set, like real close one. And then we were down uh, 23. We were down 10 and then we were down 23-17. And I'd already burned a middle serving sub in my 
middle Kay Fisher Hulse was usually the first one subbed out to serve. She served eight in a row and won. Like, and six of them were dead aces. And six of them were dead aces. So we literally pulled one out of the fire there and then one in three, no problem. And then we lost the dinos in the last round, but it was super fun. Both teams are just jumping high and hitting really hard. Yeah, it was just who can, who can, it was pretty fun. It was who can hit the ball hard across and which libero can dig it. It was, it was, uh, it was super fun to watch. And they, they beat us 12 or 13 in the third. So good battle. And gets you prepped for the rest of the weekend. Yeah, sure. hopefully we see them again. Yeah. Nice. So with you being a high level uh, club coach and Jody here recruiting both the 17s and 18s, is there any qualities that are standing out with club athletes? Because it feels like more and more first and second years are having a chance to start, at least in new sports, and kind of contribute right away. Mm -hmm. uh, is that a credit to the club system, or what's standing out with some of these athletes who can come in and make a contribution right away? Um, I think just in general, there's more athletes than, than there used to be. I think you, you could say there used to kind of be a handful of, of really talented athletes, and now, you know, over the last four days, we've seen quite a few. And um, I think the club system is getting bigger, especially... I mean, for those of you, I, I have been in Ontario and now I've, I've been out in, in BC in the club system, but um, it's, it's just so much bigger. I mean, in Ontario, how many teams are there at the 16, 17, 16 level? I think there's like 100, maybe 100 teams yeah, in 16 new girls. And when you do that and you get girls dedicating themselves, and guys, I think it's growing as well, although I know we still need to, to work a bit on that side. Um, it's just it's just bigger and more girls are playing, people are involved and at a younger age. I mean, I think Ontario had a U11 or U12 provincial yes. championship this yeah. year, right? And that's from, you know, seven, eight years ago where we started at U14. So girls playing more, girls playing longer. Yeah, and I think in BC, I don't know about Ontario, but in BC they, they put in the fair play rule for below 15U and what they thought that was gonna do was they thought that, okay, so you got 12 girls on a team, six have to play one set, Six have to play another set. You can start subbing, I think, at 15 points. And what they saw was a whole bunch of clubs started carrying eight or nine players mm -hmm. at U at U14 or 13. And uh, Volleyball BC originally was like, oh, man, this is a huge problem. But then what they realized is they were like, oh, no, now there's just 30% more clubs as well. Yeah. So the same number of kids were playing, but there was more clubs that had popped up, which means more kids were getting game reps. More game reps are getting, the better you're going to be. And then, like Jody said, the wider you cast that net, the more likely you get the freaky athletes because I mean realistically that's what every sport's trying to do you're trying to steal the freaks and turn them into whatever your sport is yeah I think at least here in Ontario I, I think if you're a 16 year old girl who wants to play club volleyball you might not get your first choice but you're gonna play club volleyball depending on mm. what community you're in but I think there's there's so many volunteers involved there's so many clubs with gym space that I think like you said the, the volume of kids has just gone up because there's there's so much availability and, and therefore the quality has to yeah. go up eventually right so. yeah it's just kids playing more and I think between beach as well, like the beach is just exploding, you know, especially with the NCAA now running a, a full, full league and girls are actually thinking like I can play beach full time. Like it, you can, you will. I think that by 2022, are they supposed to expand to like another 80 schools? Or yeah. Like it's that? Uh, like, yeah. There's been about a pretty steady diet of about 15 to 20 schools, new schools online every year, every year. And now yeah. it's like div two schools are coming in and AI schools are coming in. And I mean, I don't know how the league is going to work out down there as far as if there's going to only still be one, I'm sure eventually it'll dive off, but there's just so much more opportunity for girls to. Yeah. I mean, basically what's happening there is I've talked to a few coaches and basically what's happening in a CLA scene is there, it, you can add, you can add an NCAA women's sport to your school for like 60 grand, 70 grand. It's, it's unheard of. Like if you, if you are, have access to beach courts, um, then you literally given it both basically what they do is they'll hire an assistant coach for indoor. who has got some beach knowledge at some of these smaller schools. And then they basically added a sport 
which then skews their Title IX numbers, which then means they can, you know, then their football team isn't over and like all this stuff. And and you don't have to recruit double, you don't have to recruit double the kids because you can, a lot of the smaller schools are just yeah. getting their indoor kids to, they're, they're recruiting the, the two sport athletes essentially. I believe in UCLA had a girl play indoor beach. I forget her name, but she was in Mon- the top Mon- three pairs or um, something. So yeah. Four. Like, they had two. Mumo, that's right. Yeah. On the fourth air, his monkos. Yes, yeah. and then and then Emily Maglio played both at Hawaii Maglio for five both. years or and a couple well, four year State. overlap. And the one who played with Molly yeah. was, I'm pretty sure Peyton was a yeah. indoor player. There, yeah. There's a few. There's a few schools like USC says no, like they won't let people play both mm-hmm. straight up. Um, but most schools, like if you're a contributor in, in both, like you're a lot of times it's that uh, either that really skilled middle who's got some really good ball control stuff, or it's a uh, you know, you're pretty prototypical P2. Yeah. Who's just got great all around. Or it's sponsored and she's set for UCLA. Yeah. 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 Like, and now she's on the. She's legit. She's, she's going le- ADP, yeah. man. I was going to say, she's on the tour. Yeah. Well, I think it helps yeah. with depth too, because most beach programs wouldn't have over five scholarships at this time, right? At some of the smaller schools. Like no, exactly. Fully funded, right? So. Yeah, exactly. So, um, some of the schools, I don't know if they've changed it. There was a weird thing that some of the schools were doing. They were getting volleyball scholarships. So they're getting like a certain number and then coaches were deciding whether to oh, like how to split beach. them up. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but now I think they have like a limit of like what they, what they need to do. Yeah. But yeah, there's just so much opportunity, which is I think great for the sport. Oh, totally. totally. Like it's, so when you're looking at athletes now, you're yeah. kind of like. Yeah, we've got, uh, I mean, in Vancouver, finally side out this year, we started, we got full time all year round beach. Okay. There's about eight girls that basically aren't playing indoor anymore or some girls that are playing indoor still, but supplementing with beach. But, um, there's like five of them that just aren't playing indoor at all. And they're going beach and they're, you know, both like two of them, two of them are in grade 12. They just got scholarships and, and then a few of them are in uh, grade 10, 11. So what would their schedule that. look like? Would they just hit the sand after school or uh, before that? school we do mornings. So it's through your club as well. Yeah. Right? Through the club. Yeah. Through side out club. Um, we, uh, we talked to Volleyball Canada about running as a center of excellence, but just you're already having to pay for indoor court time, which is not cheap, indoor beach court time. And then when you add like a little bit of the layers to red tape, um, it becomes cost prohibitive. I mean, with side out, we basically run our off season stuff at a small loss um, and then supplement it with our, with our summer stuff. Cause we're able to, to, you know, more girls are wanting to play and stuff like that. So when we run our, so if Volleyball Canada want to be involved, they're not going to operate at a loss obviously, or, barely break even and then got to pay their somebody to look at the invoices and next thing you know we're like oh girls it's a hundred dollars a session we're like that's that's not gonna fly so try well, nice. to keep the cost low and eat some money all in the good of the sport well we stayed on indoor long enough let's get to this beach stuff yes <laughs> yes I'm a little biased I'm gonna lean this way so uh my first experience with the BC beach scene is we, we show up and the guys go to sign up court and then they just put their name on it all of a sudden they see how good Thomas Orr is, and he gets poached, and all of a sudden, just another guy's like, hey, I signed you up. We're playing together. Like, the community there is, like, very inclusive that if, if you want to play, anybody can play on the playoff courts. Um, is that a BC thing, or is that a Kids Beach thing? Like, it's a it's a, it's a a Kids Beach yeah. thing. It's a Jim Clive thing. So, Jim Clive, he uh, he playing volleyball forever. He would go down to Santa Barbara in the summer times in the 70s, and he was playing beach with uh, Laz Karai, Karch's dad. And the, the the Santa Barbara Nooners, there was a bunch of guys that were lawyers and dentists and whatever, and they'd show up every day on their lunch break at noon to play. And Jimmy would take his little RV down there, and they'd they'd play uh, play winter games or and then in the off season, and then he'd come back up to Canada, and they used to play on the grass behind. They'd play on the grass behind the concession stand where the concession stand is now at Kitts Beach, 
And uh, then they put in the permanent posts. I'm going to get the year wrong. And Jimmy, if he listens to this, he'll like send me an angry text message. But uh, <laughs> sometime in the late 70s, they put in the first permanent post at Kitts Beach. And court one kind of became like men's challenge court. Um, if you ever come to BC and get to see our provincial championship trophy, Wilt Chamberlain name is on there. Um, he used to come up and play. And he was, uh, I mean, there's your freakiest of all athletes, arguably maybe of all time. Maybe Steph Curry will come. Yeah, I mean, well, we we're laughing. Yeah, and, and Kevin, out. I've heard Kevin Love's a pretty good beach player. <laughs> I've heard some rumors about that guy. Christian How Love. How far does this uh, podcast go? Yeah, exactly. Kevin Love, if you ever listen to this, come to come to <laughs> kids. Come to kids. Tell a friend, and they tell a friend, and they tell a friend. By the time this will reach Stephen Curry by the summer, he'll yeah. be here. He'll be here. Come yeah. to BC. Come to the Van Open. Come to the Van Open. Yeah. So basically, yeah. So basically, how it works is if you're ever in town, volleyball players are in town, kids beach court one, the posts are painted black. They say KBBA on them, and there's literally a clipboard. You just put your name on the clipboard, and like. Honestly, like there are guys that sign up and we just beat them 21 to one and they work, try their luck farther down the beach and they try to work their way kind of back up. But uh, there was a guy last week, he, uh, he actually randomly reached out to me via my side out email and he's like, Hey, I'm from Germany. I'm coming into town this summer. Like love to get some beach games in, Do you know, anything about the scene. I kind of told him like, yeah, like come down and play. And he's 19 years old and he played uh, like up to the highest level in the club system in, in Germany. And put his name on the list guys legit picked up a partner played the first cliver this weekend like so uh that's basically how it works it's it's a pretty good scene it, it it's getting a lot better there definitely used to be a little bit of like you can't play on this court you're not good enough and now it's now it's full challenge court like you just literally write your name on it it's literally a piece of paper and you sign your name yeah. up and yeah. it's very evaluation friendly that game ends you're on i think you only you can't play pepper though on the challenge court. oh there's, man there's some invisible there's... rules that everybody <laughs> yeah. knows yeah yeah so basically you can play pepper on the challenge court but then you don't get any shaggers so there's a shag of shame so if you lose you got to stay on the court and shag okay. for the next team coming on and uh, if the other team peppers even one time on the court, you get to not shag. Okay. And then they get hit, and you get to hit 10 balls. We made that rule for a guy named, uh, a couple guys named Perry Zelke and Andrew Leo on the West Coast. They honestly, like, 45 minutes worth of warm up. We'd play Clivers, and we'd be like, which pool's still going? Oh, their pool's still going. Because <laughs> they like, you're not, hey, you're not getting any better still hitting warm up balls, man. Just like, <laughs> you're getting more tired. That's all that's happening. So, so you mentioned a Cliver, which was another great experience. Yeah. So, uh, that was one of the reasons we went out there was to get some really good competition and see the BC uh, Canada Games team. So, again, we, we show up in the morning, and everybody, everybody is setting up nets and setting up lines, and it's a great community. and you sign up and you register and somebody's got this big Excel sheet or a binder upon binder and they're pulling out draws and then the tournament starts and again, everybody's in the same division, right? Yeah, same and division. Very, again, very evaluation friendly. If you perform, you're going to be in the top tier at the end of the day and if you're not, you're going to be in a division where at least the games are meaningful. Yeah. Uh, and I think all the money that comes in is paid out. Is that very... Yeah, zero, like, zero dollars. Well, I mean, outside of like, there's a little bit of money taken for insurance via membership fees right. and stuff, but every, every dollar on tournament day, save Jimmy takes out a hundred bucks to buy beer. Um, so it does go back to you. It just comes back in liquid form. <laughs> um, and then the guys who win, uh, always buy beer too. So like I, I, I'm in a very successful donator to the KBVA and I've, I've bought Johnny. I've, I'm pretty sure I've paid a lot of rent for Johnny Wiscar and Matt Laborde over the years. <laughs> like I'm looking at, uh, paying their summer rent all the time, but they're great guys and they'd always buy a ton of beer at the, at the end of the day. So for my $25, I'd get a great day of volleyball and I'd probably drink $25 of the beer at the bar. So it's a hard tournament to win. There's guys like Christian Redman who have won nationals twice. And I don't think of won a Cliver when he was out there. Like it's yeah. just, it's a long day. It's a lot of volleyball and 
you got to pace yourself a little bit. Like you yeah. got to be pretty tactical with what you're doing. You can't go for it in the morning like full speed because you won't you won't last. Yeah, you can't. So you got to you got to time it up because you got to play three pool play games and then depending on how the draw looks, like three or four matches in the afternoon. So um, it's a full day of volleyball. And this, I, I'm gonna say this. I don't know if this is true, but I don't think anybody wins their first Cliver. There might have been a few guys over the years that have like won their first one, like won the first one they played in, but like real deal in uh, Gabe. McNeil and Berlak who came out last year and like they're a legit team those guys are really really good and they got big rust in the final and Alex Russell like took them apart because Alex Russell's played a million Clivers and he's ready to go seven hours into his volleyball day I left that Cliver thinking that Alex Russell and Dan Caverly uh, could be on the national team right now if they wanted to like there's some guys playing Clivers Nick Del Bianco was at the one we were at like uh, there was a lot of good players. Labordia was there. Uh, yeah. Jake and Gabe were there. We were there with Logan and Thomas. Like there was, there were some guys who could play. It was a really good tournament. Yeah, I mean, like it, uh, it, it's an amazing tournament. I mean, we we laugh all the time. I talk to about kids' speech. Like, like, oh, it's a scene. Like, I'm like, well, I'll put it this way. Like, we have multiple six, nine, and above blockers at kids' speech. Like, there are half a dozen guys that play at kids' speech on the regular that are six, nine, and above, and it's, it's. It's crazy. And you got guys like Joel Cachetto who are six five but got crazy hops and and it's it's some really good volleyball. And I was actually talking about this with somebody the other day, like call me biased because I see him all the time, but there's I don't think there's any way that Alex Russell's not the third best blocker in Canada. It's pretty good praise. I don't think there's any way. I mean it was thirty it was thirty K wins the other day, and he's ripping his jump serve from eleven foot six in these thirty K wins and it's Oh, and we're playing outside in Vancouver right now, just so you guys know. Oh, it's 25 degrees it's and 25 sunny. It's 25 degrees and sunny. We've been I outside it, since March. I was, it was snowing. I think I walked to the hotel just now. It was, I, I feel like it was snowing. It was so cold out here. Do you guys ever get summer? Like, when does that come? No. <laughs> maybe, maybe end of June it might end come. End of June? Yeah. And then it gets too hot. And then it gets too hot. Yeah. So you can't play outside between the hours of like 10 and 4. Because you're wearing your, <laughs> your feet. So, Joni, obviously as someone who's seen the beach scene in a few communities, I won't make this an Ontario versus BC thing, but you did spend a lot of time here in Ontario. Um, mm. We kind of hinted at a few things, but in your mind, what makes BC special? I mean, it's a pretty inclusive community for the most part. The level is really high. Like, what else stands in your mind that's kind of different from what other provinces are doing? Um, I think Volleyball BC really supports its adult beach scene. And I think, um, it's not that I don't think Ontario doesn't want to. I think they're having trouble doing it. Um, Obviously, they still give the opportunities, right? They have the tournaments every weekend. We have the Grand Slam. But it doesn't have the same... I mean, I look at like the Vancouver Open and we've already started, like the dates are out, you know, the Volleyball BC Tour, they send out that whole video, they send out like the promos and things that have gone out, you know, a couple weeks ago, a month ago, to get like the adults community excited for the beach season are already out. They've made a mini tour, right? So it's, you know, it starts, I think May Long Weekend is the first one. And then there's often one in Penticton, there's one on the island, another one in Vancouver, and then it kind of accumulates at the, at the Vet Open. Um, every tournament, there's some money to be won, right? So every volleyball BC tournament um, has money, and it's all—it's as much about the social, I would say, as it is about the game itself, right? We all know when you're playing in this, like you're. Most people are beyond their, I don't know, young competitive careers. Obviously, there's still people in there that are playing and you know hoping maybe to go to Narcica or FIVP, but a lot of people are are competitive. Like, don't get me wrong, these tournaments are people are there to win. But they're also there to like have a good time, and um, it makes it fun to go out and do it. Still into you know your twenties, your thirties, your forties. Like there's people playing all the way through into their fifties. Oh yeah, now. there's and a couple of really good fifty year olds. There's some really good fifty year olds that are playing, and I don't feel like Ontario has that same kind of mentality. That same. I mean, we have a Grand Slam where we can't even fill a draw, you know, and it's that but three thousand dollar purse. 
and it's kind of like why you know why are people not coming out um but it's just the atmosphere i think it we have to change that in in ontario the big the biggest thing the biggest thing that i when i talk to guys that come up from ontario and i ask them the same question like they always love it and i've talked to tons of guys for the ages of 17 to the ages of 40 that have come out and they said the biggest thing is that you know between matches at a cliver or a volleyball bc like everybody's talking to each other we're yucking it up you're like taking mm -hmm. the piss out of people and like Ontario, like you finish your match, they said you go like sit in the shade and talk to yourself, right? And like at Kits, you know, you're you're sitting around, you're talking to everybody, you're watching. I mean, Cliver Finals, like I don't I don't also don't want to rag on Volleyball Canada, but like it's embarrassing when the Beach Nationals are in North Bay and there's eight people in the stands. We have 400 people watching a Cliver's final sitting on the beach, like yeah, three like, rows deep. People don't deep. leave. Like, That's just it. Like, people, people don't, don't leave. leave, right? Even in the Van Open, you, most people are knocked out on Saturday. But everyone comes back on Sunday, right, to watch and support. And and he's and it's the Clivers, it's the Volleyball BC, and then the the girl women have started their kids' beach like volleyball association, and it's the same thing, right? Yeah. Like you go, you play. Some people might leave, but for the most part, you're making a day of it. Like you're you're out there to support and razz the guys, have fun with them, cheer for them, support them, because it's all in in the end, everyone's kind of on the same page. Like we're not. The heckling around the men's courts at Kids Beach is like it's quite incredible. Top -notch. It's quite yeah, it's quite oh, yeah, it's, it's the best. It's very good. It's, it's, it's very not a golf. It's not a golf. Sure, yeah. Oh oh, there are some people <laughs> that get their feelings hurt for sure. But you get used to it and you dish it out and then you got to take it. And I dish it out a lot and I take a lot. So I'm and I'm totally fine with it. <laughs> nice. So uh, the other big thing in BC we want to cover is obviously the Van Open has really built itself probably into the most professional event. I mean, with Edmonton three star coming, like that'll be an FIB mm -hmm. event and so forth and so on. But the Van Open's kind of become a culture of its own where Ontario teams go out to it, like out-of-province people go compete in it. Um, how long has this been kind of building, building, building? Because I know the big sponsor's been around for a few years, but it feels like it, it's oh, been no. consistently good for a yeah, long time, so, even before the money was there. Yeah, so we're on year two of the big money, so seven grand for first now instead of 3,300. And we've been building up, so Van, Van Open's been around since the since basically the 80s. It was called the Corona. It was on the Jose Cuervo yeah. tour when we had that. And it was kind of... It was kind of an offshoot tour event that just kind of stuck around and became this kind of like snowball rolling downhill. And um, it was the I'm, Molson for a while. Yeah, it was the Molson Open. And then Vancouver made this weird rule where you couldn't have beer or tobacco be a title sponsor yeah. of the event. So then Volleyball C for a few years kept it going, like basically out of their own pocket. Yeah. Like without kind of a title sponsor. And, and now we've got, luckily, um, Rob Penn's a great guy. He uh, is a volleyball guy, Kids Beach Volleyball Association alumni, like used to play a lot. He's now a little bit older, kind of gets down once in a while. But he, you know, has done very well for himself in the business world and basically decided, like, I need to I need to give back to the volleyball community and here's how I'm going to do it. And the event's getting, like, bigger and bigger and bigger. And yeah, Here's pretty awesome. I didn't go and, last year, but I heard it was, oh, I was told it was pretty. They had, like, a big screen and they had, it was, like, professional. So events. where else yeah. can you see? So you have this big screen. We got bleachers. We got risers. You got... Two idiots on the microphone saying dumb who, things. Who are those? Who, who are, are those people? Oh, that's who are me, those me, and, me and Sandy. Making, <laughs> Although, those saying, are side out beach. Saying, <laughs> side out beach. Yeah, do we tell the kids not to come watch? Exactly. Uh, uh, but These so, two guys run a youth club and are just ripping apart people because they have a microphone and you don't. That is exactly right. And you can yell anything you want and nobody can hear you, but everybody can hear me. <laughs> but last year was so good. So Dan Gronvald, who's uh, uh, an indoor guy, plays some beach and he played pro and him and Alex Alex Russell, so Alex gets knocked out, and uh, they're just getting absolutely torched in the beer garden on Sunday, um, late Saturday as well. No, Sunday, Sunday afternoon, and we always have a thing at the at the Van Open. We we talk about it's yeah the guys who win like that's really nice, but it's who wins the social. So who yes. wins the beer garden and who wins the after party? And uh, I mean, some guys put in a real shift and. 
Paul Tudor, like you don't get to win because you took your shirt off at the bar because you take your shirt off the bar every week. So that like doesn't count. You got to step up. You got to be a guy that goes home at 10 o'clock all the time. And the next thing you know, van open weekend, you're out. You show up at the beach the next day wearing the same clothes. Like that's a big win. You sleep under the stage. That's a big win. We've had that happen. So Alex Russell and Dan Gronville this year just lit up in the beer garden and dinner's playing and they are just chirping him relentlessly. They're like, you're washed up. You're a hack. Like, you should strip those rings off you. What was that, like, 15 years ago? He's like, I, I remember watching you in the Olympics on a black and white TV. Like, just going off, and it's amazing. And Binner's, Binner's the best to take trash talk because he absolutely loves it. And he'd rip an ace and then tell him to whoop it up some more. And, oh, it's just absolutely phenomenal. Like, just the amount of, like, trash talk you get coming on the beer garden. Uh, we have the, if you come out and play, like, the, the Whisk Army is a real thing. Johnny Whiskar, local legend. Uh, all-time winner of KBV events, all-time money leader. When he plays in the Van Open, the Whisk Army gets going in the beer garden. and Whoever's getting played him just gets chirped, like, incessantly. I think you should bring the podcast out and just put the mic out there I, for the I Van know. Open and just hit play. We might have to make an appearance. Just hit play. Oh, if you so can, many personalities oh there, right? Oh, my God. You, you so have to good. come. No, that's great. I think the, the volleyball community in BC, and like I said, it, it, over and over, it's inclusive. It's hilarious. Everybody's there for a good time. Um can you explain the skyball thing? Because our players go there and all of a sudden it's game point and all of a sudden like random people are just yelling at you to skyball. We don't always get it. So can you explain the origin of that? Maybe of why we need to be punching these clouds and stuff like that? Yeah, man, you got to hit a cloud. So basically the skyball thing, again, it's like a court one initiated thing. Um, um, so Dana Camacho, okay. Dana Camacho used to come up and he, there's some hilarious Dana Camacho stories. Like his partner at the Van Open asking for someone out of the beer garden to warm him up. And he's like, yeah, can somebody warm me up? Like, Dan doesn't want to warm up with me. Okay, so somebody goes out of the beer garden to warm up. And then, uh, so basically he would come up and he was kind of the originator of the Skyball. Like, he's the OG Karambula, like undersized, gets weird. Um, and uh, he would do it. And it kind of like, from there, like, it kind of started taking off. And we'd go down to the beach and we'd just chuck up Skyballs randomly. And then eventually became a thing. Like, on game point, if you're up big, you, like, got a Skyball. And if you don't have a Skyball, like, practice. It's a legit serve. People think it's a gimmick, but, like, People do it on the world tour. Like Brant's got a great sky ball. He mixes it in once in a while. Um, like obviously Karen Boo is doing it. So like it, yes, part of it started out as a gimmick, but now like on a really windy day at Kits, it's a super legit serve and yeah. well, nothing empties. If you don't do it. Right? You will legit get booed. Yeah. And then we start harassing you with like the standing float hex, like standing float, standing float. And then if somebody sides you out, we're like, shit, a sky ball. <laughs> Basically, you might as well. Like if you're going to chuck a muffin over the net, you might as well hit a cloud with it. I'm like, how, I like that's become part of the culture because if you do that in Ontario, you get labeled as like a showboat and you're kind of like, why would you sky ball at any point where... I got a lot to say about this if you want to get into that. I, uh, how much time do we have, Jody? I got to go. We could sign Jody off. We'll sign me off. I'll let you guys continue your sky ball chat in your Vancouver. <laughs> stories yeah i'll listen to them later i feel like there's such a subculture that the rest of the country isn't aware of how awesome it is and we're going to bring so many people to vancouver this summer just to you know observe it and be awesome. part of it yeah do it like come out if, if you're listening to ontario you're like oh, i'm gonna make a trip to van like try to come out van open weekend yeah. uh the cliver's before it this year so if you come out on like the friday you can play the cliver the saturday and then do the van open stay the for the week and do the van open um and if there's plenty of great hikes beautiful british columbia lots of things to do so not very many bugs not bugs. too hot. Well, Ontario has lots of bugs. That's all I remember. All right. Well, you guys enjoy your chat. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. I have Congratulations been. once again. National champion. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. It was a great year.
Okay, so the thing about getting labeled a showboat, I got I have a lot to say about this. So we we have a joke at Kids Beach. We have the we have the Kids Beach R and D department. So basically, there's a bunch of guys that can get down to the beach. So it's usually Sandy and I because we finish coaching side out at like two p.m. and it's kind of this the lull between two two thirty and three thirty ish before like most guys can get down off work and you can get some some good games. So. Uh, there's a few guys like Johnny Wong, Paul Tudor, they're members of the, the Kids Beach R&D department. And basically, we just like try to find out weird things at score. So it kind of started with like set overs on two or like the original kind of back bump over. Um, Ryan Causey, uh, he used to back set over on two all the time and he was an awesome player. He used to win lots of climbers. And then so it kind of started with like back set over on two and then it turned into front set over on two deep corner. And then it turned into like, okay, well, how else can we get points? So fake back set or fake, fake run it back and then front set over. And then now it's evolved into I'll fake front set over. If you go to run for the front set, I'll hit a cutty back the other way. As you're moving, the only way to stop it, I talked to Jamie Broder. Uh, I've played some like practice games against her and she's like, how do, you, how do people stop your two balls? I'm like, you can't move. If you move, I'll score. If you stay and don't move, they're, they're not good enough. They're not like hit hard enough or good enough that you can't dig them. So you just got to kind of run and look. So that's kind of where it started. And now I think it's funny because California and Ontario was like, oh, like blah, blah, blah. Like you do that, like go over on one stuff. Like if you don't mean to go over on one, hit a better shot. See, what's funny there is, is Jamie Broder, hopefully friend of the show. We'll call her friend of the show. Yeah, Maybe I love Jamie. Wannabe. Jamie's awesome. Jamie's an Olympic level defender, won Canada's like first gold medal on the women's side. So this isn't yeah. somebody being like, oh, that's kind of gimmicky. That's like, no, seriously, how do you stop this? This is frustrating me. Like, it's yeah. good enough to score on a world-class defender, right? So Yeah, exactly. So the thing is, is like, if you don't move, you're going to get it. It's a set over. You can get it. The only reason it scores is because you're not ready for it, right? So like, be ready. Any contact, the ball can come over the net. And then, and it's funny because... Now Karambula and Rossi are doing lots of crazy stuff on World Tour and everybody's Absolutely. like, oh my God, this is amazing. And like, it's funny because we're at Kitts Beach, we're laughing. They're just five years behind us at Kitts Beach. <laughs> like we've been running free ball pass to one antenna, set the other way, jump set speeds forever when we're at the R&D department just messing around because we're trying to find new ways to score. I'm not that big. I'm not that athletic. I got to be better than other people at thinking, I guess. Amazing. But, yeah, I mean, there's a guy in the Kids Beach named Daniel Jorio, Brazilian guy, played some, like, tour stuff in Brazil way back in the day, and uh, he's in his 50s now, and uh, Daniel, if you're late 40s, don't kill me, um, he's old, uh, and uh, he, I remember going out to Kids Beach, and, and Sandy has a similar story of, like, playing him and hitting a shot, and he goes over on one, or pokes over on two, or does all these things, and he, like, like would smoke me and I'd be mad and that's stupid like going over on one and what are you doing like two ball like can't you just play normal volleyball and then I was like what? why am I mad about this like I just got to get better and Sandy has like a very similar story about getting beat like 21 to 10 on on Daniel Jorio walking home from the beach kicking rocks down the sidewalk all mad about it stupid volleyball he doesn't know how to play and then he's like or I could just get better and not let that score yeah, we need points. I don't care if it goes over on one, two, or three. Like, yeah. Points. I mean, if you're going to hit like a terrible cross shot right on my hands, I'm going to talk it over on one. This is all awesome stuff. And I, I do want to dive into your volleyball knowledge just so sure. you're not like the voice of the beach and people sure. are, like, you're just yucking it up here. We'll, yeah. we'll, we'll get you out on this. But uh, can you speak about what's going on inside of Beach Club and kind of all the good stuff you guys are doing there? So, I mean, I don't want to take away from your gimmick at Van Open. You're a big personality. Yeah. You're very inclusive. You're, you're a great guy. But uh, I think the people on the show should know how much you guys do in the community and what you're doing for the youth there. So 
Can you kind of describe what Side Out Beach Club is and kind of some of the players who have graduated from the system? Yeah, so Side Out Beach was started by Misha Harris and Kiaoni uh, back in the day. And uh, Kira is now coaching at uh, UAB, University of Alabama, Birmingham. And Misha's doing, uh, he's got a thing called the Athlete Wellness Academy now, AWA, shout out to that. It's a really cool thing um, to do with um, mental prep, nutrition, all that stuff. And instead of having to have like a, basically like a sports psych nutrition coach, they've set it up with him and Nick Del Delbianco. And you basically buy a membership for like 60 bucks and then all the content is available online. And then they'll train your coaches to be ambassadors. So it's a really cool setup they've got going on. And uh, it's one of those things where you could, they could, yeah, they could still, Misha could still charge $500 for him to come out and talk about movement stuff and whatever. But he's like, no, I want to make it accessible to everybody. And uh, so he, he started doing that, which is awesome. Um, so they started it and then, and then Sandy and I got on board, uh, so the first group we started with is uh, was 14U when we started. So that I guess is this is our fifth summer, and um, they we kind of started just coaching with Nisha, and then Nisha wanted to like kind of step aside, and and so Sandy and I have now taken it over. Um, but basically, we're the high performance beach club in in Kitts Beach, and we uh, the McNamara's came through side out, Darby Dunn, Sarah Pantovic, Chloe Stone. Um, and then kind of the new wave of girls that are going down getting scholarships now. Um, Katarina Pantovic's going to Cal Berkeley. She's going to play indoor and beach. Um, we got the Brown twins who I'm going to get the school wrong are going to a school somewhere in South Carolina. So I'm not going to say the name. Um, they've got scholarships there. Uh, Ashley Classen's at FIU. Um, and last year provincials, we won eight of 12 medals in beach. So how often so, are you guys training? What's the setup? I think you, you were afternoons when we were there. Yeah, so uh, in from in basically end of May to June, we go afternoons. We go, well, after school, so 5 to 7 or, or 7 to 9. And they go two days a week until school's out. And then we go three days a week as soon as school's out in, like, the daytime, 10 to noon or noon to 2. Um, and then side out, Sandy and I and other coaches always get to out to tournaments and we help coach. And, and basically we have one real simple mandated side out is – with a few exceptions, basically everything we teach the kids when they're 13 is what they're going to need to be do to be successful when they're 18, 19, 20. Nice. So you guys um, have an athlete pathway that you really, really yeah. follow and all the way up. Yeah, exactly. So um, especially in the beach at, at really young ages, like you can you can whack the ball back over on one and win a lot of times, especially in the wind. But, um, you know, we're, we're teaching them to, to pass in front of them. Setters are releasing. Everybody hand sets it side out. Um could care less if kids get called on doubles. Um, so we're, we're working on that and everybody handsets, you jump as high as you can, contact the ball as high as you can. And uh, whatever your, whatever shot or hit you're making, you're just trying to execute at a high level from every age. And, and it's interesting. Our, our kids will go down and go down to the States and get just destroyed at 14 U um, by the girls down there who like don't really play what you would consider like regular beach volleyball they set it way off the net and hit these cut shots that kind of land an inch from the net that are super loopy that score and the parents are like oh man like we're getting smoked and i'm like yeah but you got to think about it this way at 18u that shot is not scoring mm -hmm. right a no jump high roll cutty scores zero percent of time at 18u so uh we get these kids to to kind of do things the right way and we're not i mean we get results because i believe that following a good process leads to good outcome but um our goal is not ever to like get a ton of wins, especially at young ages. It's about playing good volleyball and, and making really good decisions. I think, especially in beach, I think we have a huge weakness. Um, I don't know if it's worldwide. I know it was on the West coast. I don't know if it's in Ontario too, of like, there are so many gains you can make in beach volleyball by getting kids to think the game 
at a faster speed and a faster level. And so it's a lot of questions we ask the kids all the time. It's like, okay, like you made that shot. Like, what did you see? Why did, why did you hit a cut shot? Why did you do that? Why did you break there? Like all these things. And, and if they don't know whether they decided out or not, it's kind of like, okay, well, why? Like we need to start processing on why cut shot. That was a great shot. Did you see anything? Oh no, I just decided to hit a cutty. Okay. Well, like we need to work on that. We need to know what we're looking at, what we're seeing and all that stuff. So we, uh, we're just trying our best. And then, like I said before, the only thing I do that's a little bit weird, and if you're listening and you coach young kids at Beach, um, up to about 15U, um, we get our kids to start about two meters off the net. Uh, the blocker, putting air quotes around that, starts about two meters off the net. And then they're going to move to whatever side gets served, like you would as a blocker when you're playing it. So front the attacker, or whatever. Is what you're front yeah. the attacker, yeah. So front the attacker, and then basically they have the front person has the front two meters of the court, two and a half meters of the court on first contact or second contact from the other team, and then the back person's got everything else, and then they're basically doing the exact same peel footwork from that two meter spot to get off the net when the person's ready to attack because you're not going to block basically ever at those young ages, right? Um, so, but they're doing the footwork. So then all of a sudden we're like, okay, girls, like it's time to block. Like girls are getting a little stronger physical. Some teams at U15, most teams at U16, um, you're like, oh, it's the exact same thing we've always been doing, but now you're going to start on the net, right? And now you're going to start and now you're going to move and it's the footwork's the same. We're just taking bigger steps and it's like a seamless transition for kids. And I see lots of kids that win a lot of games and they just, one person stands on left side and the person serves from right side and they just get into base defense. Yeah. which you always end up in anyways at U14. But I don't, again, I don't care if we're going to lose points because a girl's peeling and the ball gets hit over her head because I'm thinking, what is this going to look like four years from now, not what it's looking like today. Yeah, it's great that coaches there are really stressing that because you're right. What I see is a, basically because we haven't created the need for them to block or peel, they'll just step into the pocket and they, they won't. They're not cue reading. They're not making decisions exactly. like you are where you're, you guys have kind of created the need for them to – think at a higher level right off the bat, even though they don't really need it to tactically perform at that level. Exactly. You guys have already leveled them up in that area, which is which is a great thing. So they already understand it when the need comes, right? So yeah. just little things like that, I think, go a long way. So um, obviously you talked about the success and it's kind of cyclical now, right? There's so many role models in the community that um, I, I'm mixing them up. It was either Nicole or Megan. One of them was getting surgery when we were there, but the other one did come to side out. And I noticed yeah. like when people are back, like they want to be around the kids, they're involved. So there's so many role models within it. Um, is that a big part of the club where I think you guys are serious and, and it's intense, but it's also like a fun environment to be around where the people who graduated come back and help out coach, right? Totally. Yeah. So, uh, two of our main other coaches outside me and Sandy are Darby Dunn and Sarah Pantovic. We both went through the program, um, for five years and, and it's a big thing for us. I mean, I don't, uh, I, I don't think, I think the old school way of thinking is you need to separate high performance and fun. Um, I don't think that's the case at all. I think you can be doing high performance things. You can get lots of reps and you can, ask the girls to do things and, and succeed at a high level while making it really, really fun. And that's the thing about beach volleyball, especially is it's such a fun game to play. And if you can get kids to buy in to the fun part of, uh, about beach volleyball, um, you can like, they'll play longer. They'll get more reps. They'll stay longer. They'll play more tournaments. They'll all of these things, which make it so they get better and better and better. And it's, I, I find a lot of places that I find they, they'll do it separately. Like it's, you know, we're high performance. So like, we don't have any fun, it's super serious, no laughing. Right. And Sandy and I jump in and we hit sky balls of the kids and, and we, we say it's funny because, you know, we'll go in and the kids will hit a bad shot at me and I'll put it back over on one. And, you know, the parents laugh and the kids laugh and find it funny, but we'll talk to them afterwards and say like, that's going to happen to you as you get older and as you play and, and we'll have our best 17, 18 U teams going out and play these 50 year old women at kids beach. And they'll be like, 
how did I just lose to somebody who doesn't jump? Yeah. And it's because like your shots aren't good enough and they're reading you and, and all that stuff. And you can't hit it hard enough to blow these ladies up because they've dug 8 million volleyballs in their life. And, um, so yeah, so we, we have a fun environment and, and the kids, the, the twins always come back and help out. Um, and we try to get as many, you know, if Ben and Grant are in town, we get them to help. Sam, Sam Squared has helped us before. Um, they're just, Jake and Gabe were around. Jake around and Gabe there, were yeah. around. Yeah, we, uh, Jake and Gabe were staying at Sandy's place. So we were trading coaching hours for a place to stay. See, what a great community. Every yeah. layer of this is great. No, I think there, there's a million things that I could go on about why Megan and Nicole are so strong. I mean, but. But the reality is, I think from such a young age, they were hand setting. They were encouraged to jump serve. They can both jump float. They can jump spin. They set the ball wide. They can set it up and down. They can run back plays. Like, forget about how great they are communicating and how tough they are and how competitive they are. But like, their basic skills are really good, and they're so comfortable. They're so skilled in these areas that they've taken the risk out of that level of game, right? But by the sounds of it, you guys are starting that to make the game fun, and the kids want to be challenged, and they want to hand set, they want to do these skills where. By the time they get to 20, it's not a thought of like, oh, should I do this at 19? All it's like, no, I've been doing this since I was 15 years old. Like, exactly I'm right. Skills, right? So yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's a really, it's a really simple thing. If you give the kids the confidence and and belief in themselves that they can execute these hard skills, no matter what. I mean, we've got, we just had tryouts and 20k wins, and uh, we've got 14 year olds old hand setting clean in 20k wins like it's absolutely bananas and and sandy are like what are these girls going to look like in in four years from now if they're hand setting right now when they're 14 years old small hands and balls moving and it's like absolute dimes coming out of them and and it's all about too like we never i will a girl could it uh, girls will call a timeout in a tournament and they would have bump set the previous ball let's say and they've got the point my conversation with them is why didn't you hand set that ball if I thought it was handsetable, I'd say, why didn't you handset? Oh, well, this, that, and the other. And I'm like, okay, like if it's a confidence thing, like don't worry about it. Remember, missing is okay, making mistakes is okay. We're we're trying to get better for the long run. And that's a really hard part about coaching because girls or anybody playing volleyball, you get excited when you get a point. And your point could be you hit the worst shot in the world and some guy just shanked it. Or you put a free ball over the net and they just shanked it and you're so excited. Whereas the next play, maybe they make a great serve, you dime it out, great set, and you hit a ridiculous cut shot that goes out of bounds by an inch and we're like so dejected by that moment. Whereas that play is way better yeah. than the yeah. free ball that somebody shanked or the bad shot that somebody shanked before. And that's what we're trying to get the girls into is all about process over outcome. And people go on outcomes runs in volleyball. It happened to us today. And my timeout talks today when we were way down on the team was like, they're playing paradise ball right now. We just need to weather this storm. If we can weather this storm, like the averages will start coming back our way. They were getting tape snivelers. And every pinky finger they could hit, they were hitting and all that stuff. And we just had to weather it out. And, and I thought we were going to run out of racetrack, but we pulled it off. And Well, that's awesome because yeah. I think to the success of uh, the 76ers and all that, I think process has become an overused word. And I think every coach has probably used the word process, but mm. it sounds like you guys are living it every day. Like you have hard examples. It's not just a quote you put up on the wall or something you say to the kids in a, a pre-practice talk. It's you can actually think of actual tangible examples that it happens in, right? Yeah, I mean, we have a couple of sayings that we that that we that we roll with, and that that's one of them. And, and it's hard as a coach; it's really easy to say process over outcome, but then it's also really easy to rip a kid for missing a serve. Yeah, and and or telling a kid like, oh, hey, we got to get our serves in. And, and when I um, when I coach now, we have a couple of things on serving. One, however old you are, if you can stand in a gym and get eight of ten serves over the net and in, you're too old or you're too good to serve in. You now need to be serving specifically for a reason. 
whether it's to get aces, whether it's to serve that girl's left shoulder, whether it's to serve that person's left knee, I'm gonna serve that seam to the end line. Like you need to sit back and think about like, I'm gonna serve this exact spot. And then when the kids go for it and they miss, it's okay, right? What we can't have is at young ages, like oh, I'll just serve in and I'll win. Right. Yeah. Right. And and you just want them to go back and hit their best serve every time. And that's what we we did this year and, and my team this year. And it's hard as a coach, like we'd have games where we miss eight serves in a set. And I will not say anything about serves other than when you go back, pick your spot, hit your best serve. And your best serve depends on a number of things. It depends on what the other team's doing, what our team serving strategy is. If they have really good middles, maybe our team serving strategy is just to serve super tough. If they have one person who can't pass, maybe the team serving strategy is just serve it at that girl. Right. Right. Like it doesn't not necessarily matters, but it's your best serve. So you got to check what your adrenaline's doing, what your heart rate's doing, what your fatigue level's at, and whatever that moment is, like go hit your best serve. And it's it's hard to live. It's it's really easy to say living in process. Or really easy to say that. It's hard to live in it. Definitely. Definitely. It's, it takes like a lot of mental fortitude because you want to tell girls like, oh my God, like on the beach example, like line over was wide open there. And you like took a chew on the Terminator ball hard cross and you hit it out by an inch. And you want to say to them like, hey, like you should have done that. But at the end of the day, like that hard cross swing is probably going like, to, if they did it again, it's probably going to score. Mm-hmm. And it's okay. And then again, when they're 20 and hopefully they're playing NCAA somewhere, you know, they have the confidence. Like you said, it's 1919. They've done this shot a million times. I'm going to end this rally right now. Yeah, I think... Because there's so much pressure, right? Like I think parents who don't understand the game, they know what a miss serve is, and they know it's an automatic point. Like the the, the analytics are simple on a miss serve. We lose that point 100 percent of the time. 100 percent right? of the time. But looking at what Kerry McDonald and the staff did there at UBC about like the serving study they did, and everybody's jump serving, and everybody's hitting their best serve, and what the USA men's indoor are doing with like if Matt Anderson misses his serve, the next guy up, he doesn't have to get it in because they're not a team that oh we can't miss two in a row or they yeah, miss after exactly. or whatever the seven sins of miss serving it. It's like. We're not connected. Serving's an individual skill. Let's hit our best serve. Like, yeah, every time. We're not trying to miss. Everybody's doing their best. But I think serving's become such a weapon for a yeah. lot of people. And, and for you playing at a high level and seeing your athletes at a high level, if you're serving muffins, you're going to lose that point anyways, right? So you yeah. might as well put something in there. You might as well be tactical. And I think you guys have started that conversation young. And I think the athletes yeah. are probably further along than, the, than they would be compared to athletes around the country just because it's a conversation early and it's yeah. it's encouraged, right? And hopefully that gets through to the parents and everybody and their school coaches and everything like that, right? Yeah, I actually I talked to my parents yesterday on my indoor team and I said, because I listened, I watched our provincial final, the tape playback, and I could hear them saying like, hey, so-and-so, like, get the serve in. And I told them, like, we don't say that. If you guys want to talk about their serve, you need to say, hey, hey go hit your best serve. Like, if that's what you want to say. And, and they kind of laughed about it, but I was like, no, I'm serious. Like, that's what you need to do. And Part of it for me is it, it's this weird, it's this weird mental narrative that I find especially girl female volleyball players have where they want to do this thing where they really focus on the mistakes and not the successes. And I laugh because after we play Clivers, we'll go to the bar, a bunch of guys, and you'll be sitting around, how's your day? And like, oh my God, you should have seen this block I got. Yeah. I absolutely shit slam somebody and I'm the best. And oh, how'd you do? Oh, you got 25th. Okay, and then you'll talk to a female volleyball player. Oh, how'd you do today? Oh, I, I was not good today. I missed a bunch of shots and this, that, and the other. Well, how'd you do? I got second, right? And it's this different mentality. But when I when you watch games, and if you guys, if anybody like listening plays still or coaches, like look at the other team's body language. There's a huge difference in momentum and energy level if your team goes and does everything right and just misses a shot. Like I think about a beach volleyball. So get a good set, defender's cheating line, partner yells cut shot, you hit a perfect cut shot, goes out by an inch. 
The other team goes back like, oh my God, that's lucky. We were nowhere near that ball. You go up, you're like, oh my God, don't miss. You hit a roll shot right out of the fender. They transition, bounce it on you. Now they're fired up. We're the best. Let's go. It's a totally different mentality. It's still one point. But we tell our girls all the time, if it's if if the reason is, if it's like, I don't want to miss, I'd rather you did miss. Because if you're missing, you're at least going for a shot that's going to score. Instead of being like, oh, I hope the other team screws this up. Sandy calls it losing volleyball. You're playing losing volleyball. You're hoping the other team gives it to you, not going to win it. Yeah, and I think we, we've all been in those moments, whether it's been as a player or a coach. Or... The parents do have the hard job because they're not involved. Right? They can't no, points, it's hard. They're just kind of hanging on, but... Uh... I did talk to one coach who said that either the parents are in the gym for every practice and they hear everything you say, then they can talk. If they're not, they can't say anything. Right, because they wouldn't have been a part of those conversations. Because they're not a part of those conversations about hitting your best serve, process over outcome. You know, like, okay, go on, girls, just hit it in. Nope, that's not what we're doing here. You know, if you do the right things, it's going to go in more times than not. For sure, and I think you guys, for if you're if you're doing your best from day one, then like the fifth practice of the year, the first tournament of the year, the semifinal at nationals, those are all championship mentalities, right? So it's just it's kind of building that that attitude that your team's going to have, where they, I, I imagine they don't feel the same nerves as a team who gets to the quarterfinals and nationals. They're like, oh, they start to look around and be like, oh, this is the show. Where you guys are like, no, we've been playing our best and doing our, our high intensity stuff since day one, right? Yeah, so, exactly. I mean, last year, my really good example is the Sydney girls who played on my team last year, my club team, we won nationals. Um, I started coaching at 16U and, and Sydney Sid, if you ever listen to this, love you. But, uh, like Sydney's serving percentage was like, well, sub 50 for 16U and 17U. And since 16U, I would literally tell Sid, I'm like, Sid, go back and hit your best serve. Go back and hit your serve. I don't think I was using, sorry, I wasn't using best language back then, but I was saying, Sid, like, go back and rip it. Like, go get me an ace. And I was saying that ever since 16U. And then 16U, it was a ride, and parents were talking to me about this, that, and the other. And, and uh, 17U was tough as well. And then uh, 18U, like all of a sudden, like those those ones that were going out by a foot are now going in. And she just had more reps of high intensity serving. And then we get to nationals last year, and in the weekend, she had 25 aces. Wow. Wow. Like she basically didn't miss a serve. It was absolutely bananas. She'd go back and go on runs two, three, four every time. But and that has to come down to you being consistent with the messaging because it's one thing to say, go back and hit your best serve, but then being patient with an athlete who's missing half their serves, right? Or, exactly. Or you're tempted to put in a serving sub or maybe mom and dad are pressuring her to like get it in where yeah. it, you got to be really patient. You got to live it. I think, yeah, if you're exactly. Be a guy, right? Yeah, exactly. That's the hard part is like living it. It's literally like sitting there being like, okay, like this is a really tight game. Like we really need this point. Um, I have a middle this year who I'm going through this right now. It's like she hits a really crazy jump float. It's literally ace or miss. Like it is an absolute gnarly serve. And would I like it to go in more? Absolutely. But we're at the point where it's 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 there. And she had a serve at 15, no, 14, 13 in the provincial final. And she was serving. I could have put a serving sub in. Who probably would have served it in. But I left her in there and she just missed it. She missed by six inches. Okay. And then we went back around. We wanted our next server. But um it it is hard to say and it's hard to deal with athletes and parents and when i when i sub kids out for serving i always tell them it's it's pretty much always a defensive choice mm-hmm. i never tell them i'm subbing them out because their serves no good or because i want a different server i'm always like i'm subbing you out because like i would sub sib out to serve sometimes but it was always for a defensive situation or i get back hands in because i had kayla oxlin my setter last year who could also swing so there's a lot of a lot of different options 
that I could do there, but it was never because I thought Sid was going to miss her serve. Right. It was always for like a different tactical reason, and she knew that. And um, eventually, like, it sounds weird, and I'm going to say this right now because I know my kids aren't going to listen to it until after this nationals is over, and then they're going to graduate and they move on. But I, this my team this year, I've built this. I'm going to call it a fake narrative that we don't ever lose third sets, and we do. We lost the third set today. Um, and we lost the, we've lost a couple all season as well. We've lost, I think five and, uh, but they don't think they lose because when we win, I make a huge deal about the fact nobody's better in third sets than we are. We never lose third sets, like all these things. And then when we lose third sets, it's no big deal. I don't even talk about the third set. I just talk about, you know, a few process keys that I think we missed or cues that we missed. And we have this absolutely, the kids were hilarious. We won at provincials and we won in a third set and the girls were before they got the medals like we never lose third sets and i'm like yeah see i told you we we'd lost one that weekend we'd lost one on day one like um so it's it's pretty funny but you, you can build these like you can build these fake confidence things um uh, it turns into real confidence turns into real confidence yeah so if you if you if you sell something enough like it turns into real confidence so if you believe in kids so much they eventually have to start believing in themselves and i assume i I know a lot of coaches don't, but my assumption is in the moment, every girl is trying their best or every athlete is trying their best. And if they're not executing, it's for a, it's for a reason. And it's my job to figure out what that reason is and either give them the confidence they need to succeed or give them the skills they need to succeed at that skill at a high enough level. Cause this whole like thing of like, we're, you guys need to, you know, this is back to the serving thing. You need to serve in. Well, every girl's trying to serve in. Have you ever talked to a girl? It's like, I'm missing on purpose. Yeah. No, nobody's <laughs> trying to miss, right? So it doesn't make any sense to, to say those things. So, um, but it, yeah, it's, you can build these things. Reggie Jackson, you know, Reggie Jackson, Mr. October. It, Reggie Jackson's numbers were way worse in the playoffs than they were in the regular season. But Reggie Jackson's like second ever playoff game. He hit two home runs. And somebody's like, wow, man, you're clutch. Yeah. And he's like, I am clutch. And he lived his entire career deep down believing that he was better than everybody else in the clutch. And he, he wasn't even better than himself in the clutch, but he believed he was. Michael Jordan, people make all these, oh my God, Michael Jordan was so clutch. Michael Jordan, the last 10 seconds of a game, shooting percentage, way worse than it was in regular time. Everybody's worse under pressure. The difference is, is how close can you get your pressure line to your regular line? Yeah. Your free line, I call it. Like your freedom line. Like your coach lets you play free. So if you can if you can build this narrative of freedom and letting kids play free and, and free to make mistakes and free to get better and free to learn new things, then when push comes to shove and it's 15-14 and you need a swing to win, they're not thinking it's 15-14. They're thinking, what swing is going to get us the best opportunity to get a point right now? And you just hope they execute it. This this is amazing. I know you were at the venue super early, and we're, yeah. we're going on an hour here, so I'll let you go. But it was great to have you and Jody on the show. I mean, there's so many things that we could talk about that makes the community in Vancouver better, whether it's the community, kids playing with adults, the accessibility to climbers, to the challenge court, to the Van Open. Uh, I think the one thing that's certain knowing today is the Vancouver community is better because you're in it. So thank you so <laughs> Thanks much a lot. For, Appreciate for being it. on the show. Uh, so that's Seymour. You'll see him at Van Open, or you know, you can shoot side out an email. Uh, Craig Moore, great guy. Thanks so much for hey, no the show. Problem. And uh, Jody, if you're if you're listening to this uh, after it's been done, uh, thanks for taking the time to do it. And uh, yeah, we'll end it there. But thank you so much for for everything. This is this is a great content. I'm so so happy we could get you guys while you're here in Toronto. So all awesome. right, thanks very much. Thanks for having me. Friends of the show, this is Passing Dimes First Pledge Drive. We're not asking you to telephone. We're asking you to tell a friend. We got to spread the message about what Passing Dimes is all about. What do you like? We know what you like. You like podcasts. You like volleyball. You like friendship. Guess what? That's passing times.
If you like what you've heard today and uh, you like other episodes, be sure to subscribe to us on Podbeam, Apple Play, uh, wherever you get your podcasts. And uh, be sure to click our link to our Instagram page to check out snippets from the show and uh, subscribe on Podbeam. Be sure to give us a FIV five-star major review thing. Five stars. Five stars. Five stars. Five-star major. <laughs>